you don't just go to the US and start doing things by yourself, not knowing where to go or what to do. So you have to go through one accelerator. That's the best way. Okay. You, 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 you can just not go to the US and start doing things randomly because you're not waste your time. You're going to waste a lot of money. So you want one accelerator or one incubator that get you through all the process in the US extremely, extremely, the price is too high, but in Canada, in Canada, they, I mean, initially all these things they did for my company were free of care. I mean, I didn't pay anything to these accelerators. They are non-profit in Canada. And in the U.S. it was so expensive. Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you were in the world watching live or listening to this recording. Welcome to Social Confos, a brand new edition. I'm here today with my co-host Diego. I'm Shaluk van Charanda, and we're going to talk a lot about startups, tech, and of course, Latin America. Diego, have, what's up? Have you been practicing that? No, just, <laughs> oh, yeah, just yeah. came in. I just came in happy today. I don't know why I came in happy today. So I'm in a good mood. Yeah, that was yeah. smooth opening, man. Smooth opening. I think you can take over again. Nah. Yeah, the weather is finally, you know, nicer this week. We got some sunshine. Although it was cold this morning, I actually had to run back to my hotel to grab my jacket because happy on crossing a bridge, like I was freezing. <laughs> We don't, we don't necessarily know the layered stuff, but I think we can get into that with our guests as well. But there's a layer secret for people that live in, old, in, in colder countries that we as people from warm climates aren't always accustomed to. So I'm, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah. Speaking of warm climates, today actually we have someone from originally from Honduras. And I think you can bring him up. And he's actually a few floors above me right now in his room. It's Mario Escoto Damas. That's the full yeah. name, right, Mario? Welcome That's correct. And thank you so much, uh, guys, for for the invitation to be here in your podcast. Uh, so that's accurate. My name is Mario Escoto Damas. Yeah, so, so for some context, um, yeah, ahead, we're basically go. both here in Portland, Oregon, the United States for the wildlife program, the Young Leaders of America's initiative. And yeah, it was actually Mario. I think was it the first week or the second week? I told you someone joined in from the chat on YouTube. It was Mario also joining like, Hey, well, let's, let's do the podcast. And here we are <laughs> a week awesome. later. So I thought you were going to go into his name because it is Escota Damas. And we want to know, is that something like, because some countries you have, you have yeah. both your parents' names. Or it stays. So yeah, those things. My first name is Mario, and my two last name is Koto Damas. Mm -hmm. And so, in in the U.S. or in Canada, normally they call me Mario Damas just because it's like normal only naming the people for only one of the last name. In Latin America, we normally use the full okay. name. So, so Escoto is your mom's or then Damas is for my mom last. Damas is yeah. Okay. So is that always the order? The, you know, the, the first yeah. last name from, is from exactly. for the first uh, last order. name is for yeah. from your dad and the second last name is from your mom. That's how it works in, in our countries. How about it's written? Yeah. We just use the, the you know, the, the last yeah. name. So I only have one last name. So funny thing is I actually have two middle names and for a lot of the registration here, they actually use my second middle name as my last name because they expected <laughs> Spanish, yeah. I think, from Latin America. So oftentimes uh, when we went to the medical center, it was my, it was registered to my second middle yeah. name instead of my last name. If they did that with me, I would become <laughs> Chinese. A lot of characters, special characters and things. So I, I, one of the things that I was curious about is we're from Honduras. And I'm trying to figure out, because we have like yeah. the Caribbean, can we consider the Caribbean? The funny thing about Suriname is we don't actually, we're not an island, but we're still part, considered part of the Caribbean. And Honduras is kind of middle America, but I feel like there is no, yeah, we're middle America. There's more like we are Latin America. So, so who is part of Latin America? 
Is it just the Spanish-speaking countries? All the Spanish-speaking countries. Exactly. That something that really, how, how can I express this? Amazed me about w w w when I met Diego and other people here that are from Suriname, because it, it wasn't on my radar, to be honest, a, a country that speaks Dutch in Latin America. I mean, that was really curious. I, I wasn't like ready to understand that we had in Latin America, a country named Suriname that speaks Dutch, another country that it's near you that speaks French. I mean, because you know, overall in Latin America, we all speak Spanish and Brazil, which is the largest country after Mexico is, is the Portuguese as so, but uh, essentially in, yeah. in, in, as we are considered the belly of America, because we are in the, in the center, Honduras is small, tiny country in the middle of everything, you know, but normally as, 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 as people, we tend to think about Latin America, like that a whole thing that we all speak Spanish and we don't realize that there are other languages, other cultures around there, but this was really interesting to meet Diego and, and know about your country and your culture. Okay. So you knew about Brazil, of course. Did you know about Guyana? I, mean, I, I heard about it because Before, of the football, yeah. Guyana, and you know the the the, the islands as well. But I wasn't like pretty sure where was this country located. I thought it was like or an island somewhere in the Pacific, but then I realized it is in South America. So yes, I was a little bit lost at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, the, the other thing is like, uh, although we are on the continent of, you know, South America, the continent of South America, we, we're kind of also grouped into the Caribbean and our, our passport is also, you know, part of the Caribbean community. So that, that's the, the interesting thing I think about the, our positioning. It's very, yeah, yeah special for lack of a better word, but. To pivot uh, back to, I guess, uh, the, the topic of today, uh, talking about business, uh, as Mario told me, so he's, he's running multiple companies. He can oh, yeah. tell us a, a bit about it himself. And it's, it's been a family thing for over 40 years now. So can you give us a, a brief breakdown on how those companies started and uh, what you uh, yeah, there? My pleasure. My name, as I told you, is Mario Escoto Damas. And I come from an entrepreneurial family. I am an entrepreneur, me, myself. I was born in the middle of my uh, family who has been in, in this entrepreneurial world since almost more than 45 years ago. So my parents started uh, a business about manufacturing of conveyor belts and automation systems. And well, the company has been growing since then, and that has allowed us as an entrepreneurial family to open other businesses not related to the industry, but for example, in real estate, uh, hotels, luxury vacations, uh, accommodations, and also uh, selling properties uh, like uh, housing, apartment, etc. And also IT and also supply chain uh, management company. So we have been growing as a, an entrepreneurial family that has a very humble beginnings, but my parents had the visions to, to you know, uh, had some financial freedom at some point and offer us a better future. So I was lucky that my parents were very entrepreneurial and, and had this vision more than 40 years ago. And we have been in this transition now that uh, my my parents are about to retire, but they don't want, they don't really want to retire, but we have been in this transition of, of the succession of, of the, of the, of the businesses. So uh, I am now uh, leading the second generation of our family of company group. And one of the things that we have been developing and improving over the last few years is the family protocol which is exhaustive document and a manual that tells all the family members how we should manage the success, the succession and how these have to be done in a correct manner. So yeah, we have been working hard so we can, we can make this switch. So, 
So uh, when you mentioned the family plan, uh, everybody, so can, how big is the family? Like, uh, yeah, we are family, more than, what do you mean? I, I will say in the company directly, like 35 people, that the family is much, much bigger. Yeah. But the, the core, yeah, the, the core <laughs> of the business, I mean, the administration and the financing and the core decisions are made by 10 people, which I am part of that, of those, of those people that made decisions within the company, you know, that, so my parents, my, my siblings and my sisters, and yeah, we're essentially a very productive team that are taking decisions of how we have to move forward with the businesses. And we have some external uh, people working in the company, not family members that because in the family, sometimes you can have uh, people that have talent and several skills, but sometimes you need to look uh, outside of your family for uh, talent too. So we do have a lot of employees that are not family related at all, but so, so let's, let's put it into context because I got excited, very excited when Diego told me about today, because at the moment there's an oil and gas summit for the Suriname or energy oil and gas summit going on in Suriname. And of course it's interesting because you would have interest with your family business to stand there to be, of course, delivering your products to yeah. some of these bigger companies. But also because we partnered together with all our family businesses to yeah. join together in one booth. And it's kind of weird because most people know the businesses separately or know my business personally. And they come to the booth where I'm also in. And it's not a booth of our company, but it's a booth of a group with other companies that they're less familiar with. But the first company also comes from the early 80s, 40 plus years ago. So it's a very interesting story. I don't have yeah. a family quite as big as that's you do. Uh, so, so that's a lesson for me, make more <laughs> children so that the family process goes bigger. But I do have, I do have a question, a couple of questions. And the first is what's the biggest benefit, but also the biggest downside from. Yeah, that's a job that is very wide because, you know, we are in the middle of, uh, a transition where the decisions are still made, the final decisions are still made by, by, by the old ones, okay, by, by the people that started businesses. They're overlooking, overseeing the entire operations, no matter uh, no matter who I am. What I am currently leading, I am as a director and a, a advisor of our company in, in, in Honduras. And I also, that's a different story, but I think it's related because I immigrated to Canada as an entrepreneur. So part of our strategy to grow our businesses in North America. So I eventually had the opportunity to immigrate to Canada and I grow in our family business into North America. In Honduras, we already have like the biggest market share. But what I want to tell you is that being a second generation, it's a bit of challenging because you have to work along with, with the, as with people that is shaped as in the old school, they have their own, their own belief. They have the, their own, uh, how can I tell you? I mean, in regard of taking decisions and also uh, business styles, they have their own styles of, of managing people. They have their own styles of doing things. And we as young leaders or young people, we have a different ways to, to, you know, using technology and, and blah, blah, blah. So we are more like technology driven and we tend to shortcut a lot of things that, um, uh, we, we think that are not appropriate and the old people, my parents, all my, uh, other family members that are taking decisions, they think that perhaps that's not the correct way. So it's a little bit challenging being like, um, arguing who is right, who is not right. So it's also interesting to have both points of view about how we should manage the company, the old school and all the, how, how I can tell you the traditional way of managing a company or the innovative way, the millennial way, or the 
generation X way, which is the new trend uh, as a security. So it's a little bit interesting being in the middle of everything, trying to convince others that my way of management is effective and their way of management might be like uh, a little bit exaltated. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I believe that I, a friend of mine told me once, don't ever have a family business because that's going to make you crazy. <laughs> but I mean, we all love each other and we all enjoy our time at the company. Sometimes we bring business topics to the table while we are enjoying a weekend. Sometimes we don't leave the problems of the business at the business. We bring it to our homes. And the other way that we uh, have been growing across the years, I mean, it's like a normal thing in our family. We tend to involve the business in all our, our, or like in, in parties, uh, when we have dinner, when we have lunch, then we are talking about what happened in the company, about the business, about what are we going to do? I mean, that's a crazy, a crazy thing too, but that is. But that does have this advantage, right? Because it means you, I mean, it has a disadvantage, but it also has a big advantage because yeah. when you talk about business and, and, and family quality, family time and private time, you work on your business, business a lot more than if you don't have it. So it, it does give you a step it's, ahead against your competitors. Yeah. A little I mean, bit. So I, yeah. Yeah, yes, it has to be positive. positive uh, I mean, because what can I tell you that is that what I have, that is my, my reality and our reality as, as a company operated company, uh, sorry, sorry, as a family operated company. So that is what I know, how it works in my own environment. So I can, I cannot tell you about uh, other companies that are not family operated, but I mean, I, I, I have a question on that part. Yeah. So you, you have the context of, you know, family operated and in this program, from what you told me, you're also in a big company now, like global company, and you've been in meetings and you had the same debate on old generation versus new generation, but that company isn't necessarily like family related. So what can you tell us about those observations or things that you've noticed if you compare it back to how your business well, yes, is in this, like in this program where we are with Diego here in Portland, we have been placed in several companies. I, myself, I was placed in a big uh, manufacturing company. They manufactured trucks. So they placed me in this company to learn more about how they take decisions, how a big corporation take decisions and how they administer the supply chain. I have been in several meetings within this company with the directors and they are taking decisions about, for example, last week it was about how should they keep doing their job remotely or back in person. So that was very interesting. And I even had to make an inform about it because it happens that as the most of the company now is very young, so they are turning everything. The final decision was that everything was going to be remotely. They're Work was going to be done remotely. I mean, the part of the supply chain, purchase, procurement, that's going to be remotely. But the old people were, I mean, the old directors in the company were like, no, we want these people back. We have a beautiful building. Nobody is taking advantage of the beautiful offices. We want them back. <laughs> so, but there's no need to get, to, to make these people get back if they can do their job from online or, or, or you know. No, but this is interesting because a young, no, no, no. I, I had this, this similar discussion with, with, with one of the companies that uh, we run as a family, because the older generation will say like, listen, we're missing out because basically you rent out the space. So we're missing rent. We're missing, we have open spaces. People should come back to work. And like a newer style management is like, wait a minute, if there's an empty office, we can just rent it out to another company because our, our team members are not, no longer coming in. So let's, uh, that part of the, that part of the building, let's just rent it out to another company if they want to exactly. rent it. And then we have some extra income. So it's, it's a different, it's a different way of thinking. And, and this, this brings me, does bring me to a more maybe personal question in the sense of 
with the second generation being there and you being part of a big family, how big is the percentage of, of people, young people like yourself that study, go out and study, and even maybe go study abroad and come back to be part of the family business? And how big is the percentage of people who go and study abroad and decide, you know what? The family is big enough. I don't have to come back to the family business. And of course, the follow-up question is, does it matter what they go and study, whether or not they come back? All right, that's an interesting question. And, and that's looking in perspective, I can tell you that there are several things involved in, into, into, into this end. Because we have from, from one side, as my parents, as entrepreneurs, they were looking to involve us into the business somehow. Oh, they thought, how can I make my children to get interested into the business? How can we make that possible? Because I could end it being a pilot or being a medical doctor or being some, so, something else not related to the business. Or I, I could have like other type of interest. And the thing is, it all starts in the childhood. So there are some, some strategies that consultants use for the process of the transition to a new generation. So it all starts in the childhood. In involving the children, me, myself, I had done that, taking them to the company and made them feel how important is the company to achieve our goals. So it, it all starts since then. So that for obviously made me think since my childhood that I should prepare myself to eventually become a leader into my company. So I can tell you that like a 50%, like the half of the persons that are within the company and a part of the family think since they are very young that eventually they may have an opportunity within our company. So they try to prepare themselves in topics like engineering, accounting, administration, and things like that, because it's very possible if something that happens all the time in, in our family, it's very possible that that first job that they're going to get is in our company. So they try to like make the effort to study something that will open uh, the doors to our company and that eventually will open them the doors to jump to other companies if they want to do that. In in my case, and in the case of our, our, my siblings, we already knew that we eventually had to take care of the, of the company. So we were prepared and we studied uh, things that are related uh, or going to be beneficial for the company. For example, I myself study international business and management, and um, that really helped me to create a strategy, expansion strategy of the company. My brother studied uh, engineering because we are supply chain in the manufacturing sector. My sister studied marketing. So it all, it's it, the mix of the talents uh, the skills that we have is uh, then really effective. So yeah, that's what I can tell you about it. It's basically uh, cultivating a new board or, you know, management from childhood. And I, I, I can't attest to this because the company I'm at is also like family run and speaking to the different managers, especially those being there 40 plus years, the owners now, and there's actually grandchildren of the owners working there in different departments and kind of what Mario is describing. It's like the, the kids are working already within that company, even be it a summer job for, you know, just the summer and are just, you know, running one of the departments on, on their own with a team. So yeah, I, I can, just as Mario was explaining that and me thinking back where I'm placed is, yeah, I, I'm noticing that exact thing happening right there. So it's quite interesting to hear, but to follow that up real quick on the succession plan. And you briefly mentioned you did international business. And in the beginning, you also mentioned you moving to Canada. So how did that. I guess, decision, because I assume that the company is mainly in Honduras, like all the companies, right? How did that decision of moving yeah. to another country affect that business and 
then we can go a bit in. Oh yeah, you got. So the thing is that as we have like uh, in 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 Honduras, we are leading uh, the industry. I mean our industry. So there's there's no like more market room for growth in a company. I mean I'm talking about Honduras, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Salvador, which are uh, the regional countries. So the 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 industry, our industry, there is. Uh, we, we, we are living currently the industry in, 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 in that specific, I mean, in conveyors, conveyor belt, instructors, things like that. So we are, we were thinking that the next step will be to seek more market in North America, Mexico, the U.S. and Canada, because that's like the logical next step for a company that's it's growing exponentially. So we decided to start a business like an affiliate in the U.S which is Nova Beltec and with pretty much success. And we were still manufacturing the majority of the goods in Honduras and also in China, but commercial, and we had a commercial office in the U S and uh, then the next step will be jumping to Canada, putting an office in Canada too. Obviously I, I was the one that was like more prepared to deal with the installments of these new companies or these new affiliates, making partnership with the local authority, looking for strategic suppliers, and you know, setting the initial the initial steps of a new venture in North America. That was like my homework. I had to do that with a team of people. So for sure that I was like a little bit overwhelmed with a lot of things to deal, a part of my regular job in in, in Honduras. So that in the beginning was a little bit challenging. I had to hire some uh, people to help me with man with management and with taking decisions. My siblings also were taking decisions for me. So I had, I had to build a strategy in order to affect the business the least possible because a traditional family business, you need to be there to oversee all the operations. If you are not there, then it's going to be a problem. And I had to be away for for a considerable amount of, of time. So for sure that in the very beginning in the very beginning it was very challenging. There were some operations affected because uh, I wasn't there uh, in person. But eventually we overcame to, uh, with solutions and uh, then the pandemic started and everything turned virtual. So then we were like uh, understanding we were understanding how to work online since before the pandemic. Because all the, the settlement of the new businesses in North America happened just before the pandemic. I mean, I'm talking about 2018, 2019, 2020. And since then we have been working and growing the businesses in North America. And in Canada, you, yeah. you're, you're now yeah. living so Canada, and right? after right. the settlement of our, uh, office in the U S and started to commercialized our goods in the U.S. I personally found out that there were some programs in Canada that support uh, new business concepts. I realized while I was in the U.S. that we needed to adapt our business model uh, to the North American market. So that traditional business that we had in Honduras was not going to work so well in North America because we needed some more technology feature and components. So we needed to change the business model a little bit. And it was crazily expensive to make that switch in the U.S. So we were looking for a strategy to reduce the costs involved in changing our business model. We find out that some accelerators and incubators in Canada were helping U.S. startups to establish an office in Canada to get to, to, to have a participation in North America overall and go global. So I was interested to learn more about how to make that happen. And I applied to one of the top world-class accelerators in, in Canada with a new business model, proposing a new business, a new business model for a company adapted to the North American market. And, uh, we were selected to go to Canada and they make a market validation process with one of the government designated accelerators. They help us uh, making market research 
to see if our new business concept will be successful or not in North America. And eventually we had the opportunity to establish the business in Canada with the help of this accelerator. And they kind of support our business idea uh, to be as a high potential business. So this is how we eventually got the invitation to move to Canada permanently to grow this business concept with the support of one of the government designated accelerators. So there's a program in Canada named the Startup Visa Program that helps entrepreneurs that have some high potential business and with some technology features, mainly companies that has intellectual property and that has technology related businesses can apply. As of current, I think that the program has been accepted 75 companies since 2015 that the program was launched. Sorry, 2012 that the program was launched. So I was lucky to have the support of a world-class accelerator in Toronto that helped us to make a very well-established business model to succeed in the North American market. And that way we had a lot of help from the government, from mentors, from other, other people that are in the technology sector. So we can like, we could like take advantage of all this support that we were having to build our strategy and to eventually being invited to establish our business in Canada with no the, the worries of our immigration status. So that was. We were very lucky and also we were very, very dedicated to, to like, we wanted to succeed. We have to do whatever it takes and we have to work hard in order to achieve that. So that was like a collateral effect of our entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's, it's because it's also taking the opportunity because setting up because let's 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 start from the beginning because basically if you first set up the business in the u.s and then snowball the snowball effect came from there so what's the what the hardest part about setting up a business in the u.s yeah the thing is setting in the business in the u.s compared to latin i mean starting a business like registering a business itself is so easy in the u.s that anybody can do it regardless of the citizenship, citizenship uh, status. So no matter if you are a, a tourist in the U.S., you can set your business, you can open a business account, you can do whatever you want. And uh, as a business owner, you can like start your business by your own. The thing is that in Latin America, it is very difficult. I mean, I'm talking like in general term, in my country, Honduras and in the nearby countries, if you want to register one company, you have to go in person to one place to make a big line, like three, four hours, wait for someone to take your papers and maybe wait one or two weeks to get a resolution if your company is or not incorporated or is not going to be accepted. So in the US or in Canada, it's a very straightforward process. You apply online, you put all your documents online, you just submit your application, you're gonna receive a response and within 24 to 48 hours. So you know that there is a huge difference. This simple example that I'm putting you now, I can, you can imagine how we are in Latin America, like years away from, from, from the North American way of, of doing businesses. What I mean is that it's much more easier to set a business in, in North America than, than in Latin America. And they have. They had processes that make okay. it much, much more easier. That's one part. Yeah. Okay. This is just very interesting. That's just one part of, of studying or registering a company. But the other part of the support that you may receive from local authorities, there is huge difference between the U.S. or Canada or Latin America, because in Latin America, we don't have any type of like support for entrepreneurs like 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 that i mean there's some programs across the years some business grants in latin america that we may take advantage of 
but it's not a normal thing. I mean, it's really special when that happens. And uh, in Canada, that is like what normally happens is that the government is really supportive. They really help entrepreneurs. They really want entrepreneurs from Latin America to come and establish businesses. They invest money in these entrepreneurs. That that doesn't happen in Latin America. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, Canada and I guess the U.S. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is very government driven to yeah, but in the U.S. You have to pay a considerable amount of money if you want the support of an accelerator that guides you through the process of growing a business. So it is not cheap. It is very expensive. At least that you apply to some kind of fellowship that to be accepted into one of these. Because the easiest way to grow a business in North America with the correct guidance is through one accelerator or one incubator. You, you don't just go to the U.S. and start doing things by yourself, not knowing where to go or what to do. So you have to go through one accelerator. That's the best way. Okay, you do your, you can just not go to the U.S. and start doing things randomly because you're not waste your time. You're going to waste a lot of money. So you want one accelerator, one incubator that get you through all the process. In the U.S., it's extremely, extremely, the price is too high. But in Canada, in Canada, they, I mean, initially, all the things they did for my company were free of charge. I mean, I didn't pay anything to these accelerators. They are non-profit in Canada. In the U.S., it was so expensive. That's why, after uh, considering all the facts, I took the chance to go to Canada. Then instead of continue doing, you know, trying to grow the business in the U.S. per se, I moved to Canada and started to grow my business from Canada to the U.S. So it's like a switch, uh, a very, like, strategically, a lot of companies were doing the same thing because in Canada, they were much more supportive. And a lot of things that you don't have to pay for that in the U.S. you have to pay for as entrepreneurs. So yeah, now it's a topic. Now it's very interesting to make this entrepreneurial journey in Canada. Because what I wanted to ask is in the U.S., for instance, we have from Suriname a lot of companies that start a business in Delaware. Yeah. Specifically in Delaware. And I think I saw that you were based out of Florida. Can you tell us maybe a little bit of a difference between different states? This is not necessarily all of them, but like, what's the biggest difference that you feel is there between different states? It's all about taxes. It's all about taxes and how you're going to pay those taxes. So if a company is incorporated in Delaware, which is the normal practice, if you are an international company and you're willing, like you're wanting to not avoid, but to save some cost, related cost to the taxes, then you will incorporate a company in Delaware because that's the, the state that has like almost 0% of, 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 of taxes. So you don't pay taxes if you are a Delaware business. You only have to pay one thing that is called the franchise, franchise cost. So there's no any related taxes attached to the business. Then after a company incorporates in Delaware, they can request an extra state permit to operate anywhere else in the U.S., but the base of all the operations are still in Delaware. So there are a lot of companies that help like foreign uh, entrepreneurs like us to do this kind of thing, and they know how, I mean, they know the power. They know that entrepreneurs don't want to pay at the least taxes as possible. And when the operations of of the business are considerable. It's a lot of taxes involved. And if you have the possibility to reduce those costs, then you are going to take the chance. And in terms of, of differences, I think that California is the, the state that has the highest tax rate in the U.S. as of current. With Delaware leading the preference between any company from abroad. So, yeah, that's a very great strategy. It's like the normal pathway. You go to an accelerator or an incubator in, in the U.S., they're going to recommend you for sure. Uh, incorporate your company in Delaware initially if you want to reduce your initial cost. So yeah, that's a, 
a really great strategy. If you incorporate in Florida, you are you have to pay a considerable amount of taxes, regardless if you are uh, producing revenue or no. You have to pay a yearly tax, even if your company is not producing revenue. So there are some advantages uh, when choosing where to start your business in the U.S. But you completely moved over to Canada right now. Is are you still incorporated? Yes, we only have a distribution office uh, and warehouse in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, so all works from China, with, where we have our manufacturing facilities, and where we manufacture all our brands, our conveyors, our rubber, and everything. And everything is exported from China to our other manufacturing facility in Honduras. We were the first company in our class to be accepted into a free trade zone in Honduras. So are we from China to a warehouse and manufacturing facility in Honduras? Then everything goes to the U.S. to have a stock in the U.S. for the North American market. But everything is yeah. the invoices or where the customer pays everything is to Honduras branch and to our Canada branch. So everything goes from Honduras or from Canada or, or, or from the U.S., sorry, up to Canada and to the rest of the country. So we have a, 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 an infrastructure, infrastructure already in place for the logistics and everything. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's cool. Okay. So to, to, you want to go first? No, you, no, you put, you put the intelligent question out there. I'm going to have some just uh, casual social conversation. Yeah, just one to, to go full circle. So from the start, it started as a, you know, conveyor belt manufacturing company. This was the core company exactly. that kicked everything off, right? And this allowed, I guess, uh, the family to expand, have capital available to, you know, invest in other companies. How does the, like, I guess, success or profitability from the, the companies the, or the group of companies compared is the conveyor business? Uh, still a majority. How how do the other types of businesses? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, definitely the conveyor uh, conveyor belt and and spare parts and, and mechanical parts that we sell are still on on the top. That's like the most profitable business. Still being the more profitable business because we already have a, a huge network of customers that and we have agreement with customers we have contract with customers on a monthly on a yearly basis that have been working like that since more than 25 years ago so it's like we 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 have to comply with these contracts and that's that's not it, it different like for example from one hotel or a different kind of like real estate that it all depends on the market and and have like up and downs and things like that. In, in our case, with the supply chain uh, and manufacturing of conveyors and all the related parts, we already have like a, a stability and we already like know what's going to meet that consumption of, of goods for the next year, for example. So we have to prepare uh, all our stock, all our manufacturing in order to comply with all the contracts that we have. So it's like uh, the business that is currently giving us the most of the, of the profit and the most of the, of the, of the revenue. And it's like, uh, I think in part of the other company, it, that's the one that has a better profit, profit rate, because this, this is a very special or a very specialized industry. So there is no, like a lot of company that can do the same thing. So you need to have. It's hard yeah. to break the market. It's really hard to break the market because you've been doing it for so long. So you have an advantage that any nuclear on the market, they, they can compete with that advantage before you're so far ahead. And, and I think that's something that's really underestimated about, about bigger companies, especially because we started with the difference between the new management style and the old management style. And there is still a part that because something is kind of, it's completely stuck. It's kind of rigid. You can't change it anymore. So you see it as a, a, a negative or maybe not something, but again, it's the same structure that is so rigid that kind of, it, it makes it impossible to 
to copy as like a new cover on the a new kid on the block or a competition. So I think that's very interesting to see as well that there's a reason why companies are there for 40 plus years and they remain as big because you already have yeah. a certain infrastructure, certain contracts, a certain structure internally as well, where you have a consistency that like your competitors who just start out, even if they come from abroad and they're big abroad, they come in, they don't have the same. That's competitiveness advantage that definitely plays a positive, uh, I mean, the results of being uh, a pioneer and a leading uh, company within that industry has its advantages. What you mentioned is one of those advantages. Okay, so before Jean-Luc goes to his fun question, I have more of a personal question on being part of, I guess, you know, a, a successful business, successful family. You're very humble. So the, the, the first time I met you, you're a very chill guy, a very humble, very fun. And, you know, you, we, we briefly talked about value. So can, can you tell us a bit about, you know, growing yeah. up, how you got those values and that your yeah my 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 parents were born in the countryside and they dedicated almost the half of their life their childhood and everything in the countryside uh, and they have very humble origins so they were not rich people my mom and my father um, and my father they were people that were normally growing plants and making like this lifestyle this is where the way they they were surviving so they have very humble childhood and very humble where they, they were young they were not rich people too and also my grandfathers tell them these values and the hard working as well so they think that that definitely played an important, an important role when teaching us about all these values, because it's, uh, when, when I talk about my parents, they were very limited while they were a child, having only the basic necessary things to survive, which was what their parents also were able to provide them. So that is totally make a change in how you feel and how you see the life. I think I was lucky enough to born in the middle of, of having everything from my parents, but also, I mean, they also try not to put things really easy to us since we were children. And because, you know, there is a big difference when you give to children all that they want with no limits and teaching these children that he needs to, he needs to do their homework. He needs to be a good girl or a good boy. He needs to comply with something and that the things really cost. So this is not a thing that it, in nowadays, these values are not well talked to the, to our children. And I had the opportunity to have these parents that in their beginnings, they had nothing and they were like growing from the bottom to the, to the top. So they have much life to teach and they have a lot of good things to give. I mean, they can give us classes about being humble, be chilling, build nice because they even, I mean, even my parents may be wealthy. They even have friends that are not wealthy. They have friends that I, that, that live in, 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 in common houses that are people that work every day, are people that are, are not wealthy. They relate with these people. They have friends everywhere and they have no, like these restrictions that only people that are in their same category, we would relate with them now. So we are open to make friends. We are open to be nice. We, we, because this, our nature, this is what my part, this is, I am the reflect of what my parents taught me. This is how they are too. So I think that, that a lot to be on how you are uh, during your childhood and during your, when you are young, how do your parents really educate you and the values that they already got from their parents too. So. So yeah, that's, that's the reason why you find me very friendly because this is, this is, this is me. This is what I know that is acceptable 
and this is what I what I know. This is how I have to be with the others, and this is how I have to, because there are other people that oh my god, they think that they are like, they they they, they are so like I mean private. They don't like to interact with others. I am the top, so please don't talk to me. I am not like that. <laughs> Awesome. That's actually a great way to close it off. We'd still have some overrated, underrated for you. But before we get to that part, because we started with Honduras being from Latin America, Honduras is quite close Ecuador. to the equator as well, right? No, to, but also to the equator, to the middle of the... Of it's the a, it's of the, a, no, in Central America, no, it's like a five or six hour flight. So let's... So it's not, it's, that, it's not north, that close. North, not that north, close. north of Panama. North of Panama, north of Panama. yes. So it's, it's, it's like the South of yeah. Mexico. So, yeah. So for us, the weather, because we were just talking about this and I was talking with Diego about the layering, like for us, because we're from, yeah. from okay. a Caribbean country, it's okay. It gets cold. I need a jacket or a winter coat or something like that. So basically it's two layers, like it's my shirt and I put on a coat or a winter jacket and that's it. And then when the temperature changes during the day, we are like, we're either the coats off and it's too cold or the coat on and it's too warm. And people that live in warm in, in cold climate climates, they know about layering. So there are multiple layers. They're like one to four layers. And depending on what the weather is like, they decide if it's one, two, or three, or four layers. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because you went oh, yeah. from Honduras to Canada. Uh, how how did you get used to? Oh yeah, the that's changing weather. Honduras, we have this tropical weather. Uh, I, I am I am from from the coast in Honduras, in the northern coast. So it's really hot during the most of the year, like 35 to 40 degrees in the media. But in Canada, I mean, Canada is the second largest country in the world. And I live in, in, in Ontario, in Kitchener, which is a city very near to Toronto. And the weather there during the eight months of the year is freezing. Okay. So you have from October, it just starts to decrease from the autumn. It starts to decrease the temperature. Then in December, you have some snow. And then in January, February, March, it's totally white outside. So we have tons of snow in Ontario during the winter. It's crazy because I still trying to adapt myself because outside, uh, during the peak, like in February, it's minus 35 degrees Celsius. So if you go outside with like wearing this, you're going to get freeze right away. Or when you start to breathe, you're going to, your lungs are going to, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So you have to, it's in, during winter, it's a topic that you have to wear boots. You have to wear a special, special jackets that are built for minus 40 degrees Celsius, special pants and everything. And if you don't have a car, you're going to suffer a lot. If you're going to use a public transportation, you're going to suffer a lot. I mean, you need to protect with special gloves and everything. So it's crazy. But for example, in British Columbia, which is another province in Canada, uh, it, the weather during the winter, it's much better than in Ontario because uh, there's almost no snow in British Columbia. In Vancouver, for example, which is a city north from, we are, from where we are now, north from here, which is in the Pacific, they almost don't have any snow. So we have in Canada these two, two, two types of weather that when it's winter, you have minus 35, minus 40 degrees in outside of Canada, but in the same, the same time in British Columbia, which in the other side, you don't have snow. So it's really crazy because as I told you, Canada is so huge. My, my daughters that are now almost what, two years living in Canada, they are more like uh, getting these changes. They are more like uh, getting all with this weather and everything. So they're, because they are kids, but for us as adults arriving in Canada, new weather, new everything. It's a little more difficult. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Diego, I guess we have a little bit of time to do maybe two, two overall unders each. Yeah, that's, that's the one each. The one each? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So Mario, I'm not a, sure if you're aware with our over under segment, but basically we bring up a topic and you decide whether or not you find it overrated or underrated. And Diego is going to go first, I guess. Uh, okay, now I'm going to go first. I was, I was just fully around. So Mario, a SWOT and a SWOT analysis, is it overrated or underrated? What analysis? Business. SWOT, SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunity threats. Is it overrated or underrated? I think it's, it's underrated. I think it's underrated at some point. Cause you know, this, I mean, it's, it, it all depends on of the perspective. I think for me, it's really important for me. It's, I mean, it's essential having a well analyzed what, but I, I think that maybe people or the professionals don't tend to take this uh, magnificent tool really serious. So perhaps it's, I think that uh, as a current is not like on very well used or used smart, uh, smart or intelligently used now. Uh, the despite this give you a lot of very good answers in order to make decisions in your business, but I think it's overrated. So do you think it's, it's, it's not exactly. used as enough, enough because people don't quite know how to implement it. Or do you think it's more of a being rushing? Yes. I don't have that. For that's that. because we have the new generations now. Exactly. That want to act fast and maybe find other ways. So that's like a little bit of, uh, it all depends on the generation, I think, but that's the main reason of why I think we don't get to use those tools anymore. So we are like trying to use new, inno innovative ways to to get to the same place. Okay. For me, okay. I found one. Let's see. Buying a house overrated. That's underrated now. I can tell you because of the same thing now that renting a house, if you make the conversion, uh, I mean, the fine, uh, financing a house, it's really costly over the years. So that's one of the reasons why now young people are preferring to rent a house and have the freedom of moving anywhere when they want to do it and leaving all the belongings behind instead of buying a house that they have to be attached to a debt and they have to pay over 20, 30 years that debt. So it's about freedom. I think now it's about financial freedom. This is a trend, but of course there is a good portion of the population that is still buying house. I mean, for owning a house to have that feeling that they own something. And I believe that it's pretty much only for that, to have the feeling that they own something because they could live anywhere, to be honest. So are you renting? No, I am <laughs> I'm just saying, no, I, 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 I own my place. I own my okay. place in Canada, but that's okay, like, okay. Well, I'm you, like a normal trend as a parent. Yes, because all my, yeah, friends, yeah. every, every, all my, it is, it is. other colleagues, entrepreneurs, they rent their home. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. No, awesome. Mario, thank you for joining us. Yeah. And uh, appreciate you sharing. This was a very, very insightful conversation, especially on the aspects of family business. And I think also, you know, the opportunities that, you know, there are in the United States and Canada and the challenges is there. I think you laid that out very well for us. Yeah, my pleasure. So, I can talk uh, more about uh, specific programs and specific pathways in, in other, in other uh, podcasts and, uh, you know. You have my contact. You can just let me know. Yeah, there, there's, there's so much we haven't touched on yet. Some more fun stuff, but I think we'll leave it here for this episode. So Shanluk, any final thank thoughts you so and then you get close us off. Yeah, I want to thank you as well, Mario. It has been a great so social conversation for me. Very exciting to hear about family business, but also like Diego said, expanding to other countries. I hope we can learn a lot more. The last thing before we close it off, how can people get Oh, well, they, they can add on my social network. I have a Facebook, uh, at Mario Escoto JR. I will put you in, in the chat. Perhaps you can. Yes. Ah, uh, junior. <laughs> I have, yeah. Exactly. Because my, my parent is and, uh, like, uh, Mario Escoto, the third, sorry, Mario Escoto junior. So they can contact me there or through my, my nonprofit in Canada, which is 
www.lccei.ca. So they can contact me. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, put the exactly. first My, so first. Yeah, there you are, Scott Junior, and uh, and you can also share your uh, startup or the nonprofit, sorry, in, in Canada as well in the chat, and we'll shortly bring it on screen as well. So Mario, thanks again for being our guest. For those of you who are watching or are listening, the recording will be uploaded this weekend. No, no. All right. No, no, no. The, the uploading is kind of in the, in, the, in the near future. And yeah. of course, as always, before we close it off, the website lccei.com. So give it a visit if you are interested for those who are listening to the audio recording, lccei.com. That was it for this week's Social Confos. We'll see you back next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.